Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we review the 1997 anime Revolutionary Girl Utena. But the twist here is that I am a decades-long super fan. This is Chesney's first time ever seeing the show. So if you're watching along with us, we are now up to episode 10, Nanami's Precious One. Uh, if you want to watch along with us, you can find the link in the description of this episode to the YouTube episode or the, the episode up on YouTube. The link will take you to the English sub. If you're looking for the dub, um, you can just Google search the same title um, and it'll find it'll bring it to that. So picking up from where like right where things left off last episode, Sionji has been expelled. Yeah, he's got his little bandolier, like, behind him. <laughs> Walking out of the school, it cracks me up. Yeah, like, he's got his sad backpack, where he yeah. keeps all his sad boy feelings in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and every, like, it seems like everybody in the school is watching him leave. Everybody's, like, in shock. And, like, you know, all these little gossipy whispers. He is carrying his literal sad sack. Yes! <laughs> but what kills me is like everybody's gossiping and whispering and then it like zooms in on Utena and she looks sad. And my the first words out of my mouth were, girl, don't look sad for him. He did this to himself. <laughs> there is no reason to be sad. None at all. He did this to himself. He made his choices. He's you know, literally backstabbed. Uh, so he's made his bed and now he has to go lie in it. And that's somewhere off campus because he has been expelled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause well, okay. So we discussed this a little bit last time, but in case you didn't catch the last episode, we, we were discussing whether or not he was expelled for attacking Toga or expelled for kidnapping the Rose Bride and taking her to the dueling arena without the permission of the end of the world. I don't know that we got like a clear answer to that. It seems like both. Uh, it seems like you can't do that with the Rose Bride and you can't do an unofficial duel. I, I feel like I come down on the side of thinking that the biggest issue here as far as the rules for the school go are that he kidnapped the Rose Bride. I think that matters more than attacking another duelist, ultimately. Although, as far as the rumors in the school go, it's definitely about attacking the president of the student council, right? Um, right. I just think that, like, in terms of the value hierarchy that has been established, messing with the duel system is actually higher than messing with a duelist. <laughs> yeah. Which makes sense. You know, systems are always going to put systems over people. Absolutely. And from what we're seeing so far between Toga and the end of the world, this is a system with a lot of power behind it. Yep. And he and Toga is entirely loyal to the system above anything else. We're going to see in this episode just how much that is true. Um, like in the very first scene here, 
we get like an exchange between Juri and Mickey, but it just kind of like recaps what has happened. Um, I do have one line here that Mickey says that I cackled at, which was, I assumed he'd try something like this, but then he actually did it. (laughs) (laughs) The one that I wrote down. (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. Because like, everyone on the student council is like, yeah, we all knew he was crazy, but he actually went and did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the line that I wrote down was jury calling him the clown of the student council. I was like, damn, what a scathing review. Ice cold. So then Sad Sack is walking out of the school and Toga stops him. And Sionji gives Toga the exchange diary that he'd been keeping with Anthe. And Toga says he'll take good care of it. Smash cut to Toga throwing it in an incinerator. Yep. Oh, and he also, (laughs) not only that, Toga also straight up lies. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it. We're best friends, right? That's what best friends do. And he's also like, yeah, I'll try to reverse the expulsion as soon as I can. That fool is not worried about any of that. He is wiping his hands clean. He is glad he is gone. Oh, yeah. There is one fewer duelist to worry about in the dueling game. And that is all Toga cares about. Yeah. So then we get the student council speech. We get the full elevator ride this time. And this time Toga is the only one talking. I feel like usually it's a chorus of them or they interchange, but it's just him. Well, I... Oh, now that you say this. Okay. So I think it's always just Toga who gives the entire speech. But then... All of them together say the line at the end, Sekayo Kakume Surutameni, which is mm-hmm. for the power to revolutionize the world. They all say that together. Right. Um, but I think it's always just Toga who does the, the proper speech. Almost like he's okay. lecturing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In case you forgot, we've got to crack the world's shell. <laughs> Get on that, you guys. We're running out of time here. There's only so many months until graduation and we still haven't cracked that shell. The student council is like, it's such a sham. Like, it's really just a mask for a cult. That's all it is. And every student council cult meeting, Toga just leads with their their chant. And it's just getting like more and more hurried. Like you said, like, come on, guys. So they get a letter from the end of the world and apparently Toga is supposed to be the next duelist, but now he's injured and can't duel. And which by the way, by the way, of course he's the next duelist, you know, like, first of all, I don't even like (sighs) the conversation at the end of the last episode, episode nine, where we find out that Toga and the end of the world are best buddies. I'm like, y'all are just like, you're just orchestrating this from the start. So like, of course you're supposed to be the next duelist. For sure. Right. And also 
there's only so many of them, right? We can all count. Yeah. We're, we've all gotten past <laughs> elementary school. We know that what this means. So far, Sionji has gotten three turns at this. And remember the elementary school rule. Everybody gets one before anyone else gets seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm like, this is just bullshit at this point. Like, <laughs> this whole charade is just bullshit. It's like... We, as the audience, have started to pull back the curtain and we're seeing that the Wizard of Oz is just a man. You know, like, right? that's how I feel anyway. Well, we haven't actually had the curtain pulled back yet. We don't know who the end of the world is yet. No, but I don't think that it's some, like, it's not some otherworldly being a type. You know, it's not like a god or something like that. The, okay, which... so you're giving up on your aliens theory? <laughs> I just want to be explicit about well, this. Are you taking off the tinfoil hat because the aliens don't exist? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can never take off the tinfoil hat. And I can also never fully renounce an aliens theory because of that. However, I just feel like it's I just feel like they've made it less fantastical and more of a human scope. Because if you're talking, you're not talking to an extraterrestrial on the phone. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you're just not. Like, E.T. did not get in the pay phone booth and dial you up just to have this conversation with you. But the castle in the sky does still look like a UFO. So... I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A castle floating upside down, seemingly removed from gravity. Yes, that checks the boxes for aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I'm like, okay, it's not fully off the table, but it still feels like what I said, I want to say in like the first or second uh, episode of us recording this, it's it feels like an adult that's just fucking with them. Okay. So Toga's supposed to be next, but then Jury and Mickey both volunteer to take his place. And sure, like they act like they're doing this nobly. Like they say it like, it's okay, dude, I'll take your place. Every single one of these duelists wants another shot at Utena. They are not fooling anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but Toga puts it down and he's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. There's another duelist coming. I mean, we had it spoiled for us by the preview of last episode. Like we know we know that it's gonna be Nanami. But in the universe, like they're shocked. They have no idea who it's going to be because they were surprised enough that Utena showed up and was going to be a duelist. Now we have another non-student council member who's going to be in the dueling game, which is right. another unprecedented move by the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And like, this is where I love what this show does. It set up a formula in the first couple episodes like this is going to be about dueling there's going to be a duel every episode and it's just going to be like like an action anime where they just like go through 
fight by fight. Like you can, you can see a different version of this show where each of the duels is an episode unto itself. Right. Or like the duel spills over into the next episode and then we do more, you know, like there was like a cliffhanger during the duel. Like if they were doing this, like a DBZ style and you could see that formula emerge. And then they immediately broke their formula with yep. the two-parter with the two-parter episode about Mickey. Or actually with the ball. It started with the ball. And then the two-parter with Mickey, where we had two episodes with no duels. And we've kind of alternated ever since then, where there's the duels are now punctuating the season rather than being an every episode thing. And so the fact that we come back to a duel this episode, I think is especially uh, interesting just because now we have another moment with Nanami where we see that conflict bubble over into violence finally. Yeah. Well, okay. I shouldn't downplay the violence of her slapping people around constantly, (laughs) (laughs) but like her putting herself on the line in a violent way this time. Right, because normally she uses the trio to do her dirty work. And this time she's rolling up her sleeves. Yeah, like some other scheme or something like that. But now she's in real danger herself. Yep. And honestly, kind of seemed like she didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get there. Yeah. uh, In a a, a little bit. Um, Yeah. So we have this pre-lap audio here where there's another slap and just because of like audience priming it's been long enough since i've seen this show like i just sat down and watched it that i forgot that it wasn't anthe who gets slapped this time exactly you expect it to be her you expect it to be anthe and it's just a brilliant use of pre-lap sound to set up that expectation and then defy it that way yep Uh, Because now we have Utena in like a surprisingly vulnerable position. Like with Utena, you would expect her to like stand back up, snatch Nanami by the hair and put her face right into the rose thorns. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, instead she takes it and goes down. Because she is feeling guilty about what happened last episode. Completely undeservedly, mind you. There is no part of what Sionji did that is in any way Utena's fault. There is no way that Utena can be held in any way responsible for this. No, she's totally being manipulated. Yeah. And, you know, she has gotten so wrapped up in this dueling thing. And she's blaming herself. And this entire episode, with the exception of like the moments where she's actually fighting in the duel, Utena seems a little off her game, right? Oh, for sure. Like the second that she gets slapped by Nanami, she apologizes to her. And like you said, she's just sitting on the ground, like defeated and guilty. Um, totally out of character. Her proud demeanor 
is gone because of that guilt. To the point where she even says, maybe a girl really can't become a prince. Like she's taking it this hard, which honestly, I was surprised. Yeah, like it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't even end in the scene where she gets slapped. Like she is in her bedroom sulking. Like right. she's curled up fetal position. Questioning whether or not she could even be a prince. And like, I don't quite get where that guilt is coming from. I don't either. Like, does she feel bad that she couldn't protect Anthe from this? Does she feel bad that she couldn't protect Toga? Which I don't get why she would care (laughs) about that. Um, Yeah, I guess it's just feeling responsible for somebody getting hurt. Like, um... It's really easy to get yourself in a blame spiral of if I had just done X, Y, and Z, then this wouldn't have happened. But like, she literally could not have known. Her back was turned. There's no way she could have anticipated or seen that coming at all or prevented it from happening. Right. Because like, Sionji straight up kidnaps Anthe. There's no way in which Utina had any hand in that part. And the, mm-hmm. as soon as she found out what had happened, she raced to the dueling arena, saved Sionji's life. He was face down <laughs> in the water. Right. Um, and yeah, like, I, I wonder if it's not guilt or if it's just like, I don't know, like a PTSD thing. Like, has she been triggered by all of this with like the coffin and all of what happened last episode where now like she's in this spiral of processing just how serious all of this stuff is. Honestly, maybe, which again is, I feel like intentional on Toga's part. I feel like that gives Toga a little too much credit. Well, but but if he was there for, you know, if he was there for, um, uh, when she was in the coffin as a little girl, I'm like, of course he would go to replicate that and try to trigger something within her. I mean, that's fair. Like, we definitely know that however she presents herself now, there is still that part of her that has seen that darkness and has gone to those places. Yeah, and the part of her that's still a scared little girl who lost her parents and had somebody come in and like swoop her into their arms and save her, you know? So it's, um, it's just a vulnerable little girl that's still there. Yeah. And like, to be fair, no matter how brave or strong or noble or chivalrous or whatever a person can be, everyone's allowed those moments of vulnerability. Yeah. And like, it's a very intimate thing that we're seeing here with like with Utina openly questioning a core piece of her identity. Like as somebody who wants to become a prince, here she is questioning a core piece of her identity. And as far as like the queer subtext of the show goes, uh, when it comes to gender stuff, like that's not an unfair question to ask 
when you're talking mm-hmm. about yourself, when you're when you're talking about like who you are, who you want to be, how you want to be seen, it's not off limits to ask yourself, is this really what I want? Is this really how I want to go about getting it? Um, which is very different from like someone from the outside coming in and questioning those things about you. Um, yeah. Like you're allowed to question those things about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And just the overall feeling of, is this who I am? Yeah. And like, it gives her a moment to, to analyze her motivations for doing all of this too. Mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised that she doesn't take it as like a bolstering thing of, oh, if these are the stakes, Anthony needs just that much more protection. Mm-hmm. But we have we have her core trauma of the loss of her parents, where something has happened that she was helpless to stop. And it puts her right back in that place of maybe I'm the one who needs rescuing, not the person who can do the rescuing. Yeah. So I, I think we like talked ourselves around to <laughs> a conclusion on this. <laughs> Um, but what do you think? Where where are you at with that? Oh yeah, no, like we we pretty much addressed that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really all I wanted to say about that piece of it. Um, I mean, again, just that she's brought back to that vulnerable little girl that she still has inside of her. And then here comes Anthe, <laughs> which I, by the way, I love this. Uh, Anthe just comes in her usual self uh, and starts talking to Utena. And one of my favorite exchanges out of this episode is her going, what's wrong? You're down in the dumps. And Utena immediately firing back. And I want to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. Like we've all been there, right? We have all been in that state of mind where it's like, I do not want to be cheered up right now. Go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But she still, Anthe still shakes her out of it. Well, yeah. Like she says, oh, you must be hungry. And (laughs) Houdina's like, I really am not in the mood for shaved shaved ice right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And eventually we get the reveal that Anthe has been talking to a cat in a box the entire time. And Utena's disappointed uh, realization that Anthe wasn't actually talking to or listening to her. Yeah. Which, first off, Anthe's got a cat in a box. (laughs) Yeah. Well, of course she does. She's like an animal summoner or something. Yeah. Um, And... There's something that I want to highlight here. That very first question of what's wrong. We get this reveal that she was talking to the cat. But then a moment later, she suggests bringing flowers to Toga and says it's okay to go check on him. Like, that's a normal thing to want to check on someone who's been injured. (laughs) 
Yeah. Which proves that Anthe was actually listening to Utena the entire time Utena was responding to her. Yeah. And it's another, it feels to me like another one of those moments where it's played for comedic effect with the cat reveal, but this is Anthe taking an interest for the first time, or not the first time, but like taking a real genuine interest in what is going on and showing some agency. Like she has more lines in this episode than I think a couple other episodes combined. Um, yeah. And she does this, I noted down three separate times where she asks Utena what's wrong. Um, there's a moment at the, the party where Anthe steps in to defend Utena. And then during the duel itself, Anthe speaks up to tell Nanami that what she's doing is against the rules. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see Anthe come out of her shell. Yeah. And, and make these connections and defend someone who is important to her. Like, Anthe defending Utena at, uh, at the party... And her doing, uh, like, her showing concern in the bedroom, those, to me, don't read, like, quote-unquote, Rose Bride behaviors. No. Like, this starts to seem a little bit more like the genuine Anthe. But I could be wrong. It could just be that because she's engaged to Utena, she is adopting you know, Utena's way of dealing with things the same way that she did with Sionji. Yeah, and I also have a I have a little bit of a theory about the dialogue with Utena slash the kitten. It seems I don't think this is the first time that Anthe has done this, where she's talking to something else like Choo Choo or some other animal or something else entirely. But having a conversation with Utena at the same time, it almost seems like she needs that other medium to be able to have a conversation with her about either Utena's feelings or what's going on in general. Like she needs to have, she can't have a direct connection. She has to have something come in between right, to be able to have those moments. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i love anthe's line uh where she says there are a lot of roses in bloom shouldn't we bring him some like that was just really sweet yeah yeah and like i'm of two minds of it as well like there's a part of me that wants to read this entirely as Anthe showing agency and showing concern um, and suggesting something that gives Utena cover for showing up and checking on Toga. Because we're starting to see the beginnings of like a rival manse between these two. Mm -hmm. Where like the whole enemies to lovers trope for Utena and Toga. Yeah. And so here we have 
this moment that could be an example of Anthe's agency in like giving her friend cover like a plausible excuse to go see the dude that she's crushing on. <laughs> the other thing is, and like just to float this out there, Anthea is a key part of the dual game. And and if Toga is getting messages from the end of the world. Oh. What about Anthe? Yeah. I mean, her actions. You've got a point because her bringing Utena to um, Toga's birthday party in the next, in, in one of the upcoming scenes, that's, oh my gosh, my mind is a little blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> like she, I didn't even think about what part that she plays because I'm so used to seeing her as passive. But honestly, she, holy shit, she could be like the biggest master manipulator of them all. Is Anthe the end of the world? Oof. Oof. I don't know. Oh, wow. Now I've got my tinfoil hat back on. I'm, now I'm excited <laughs> again. <laughs> I've got clear, more conspiracies. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, like I highlighted these moments because I think that they are actually moments of Anthe being Anthe. And not the rose yeah. bride. That's the thing, though, is that it could be both. It could be her, her true self coming out and also her orchestrating. I'm just that, uh, the meme of that taco girl right now. Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> so we get this flashback to a birthday party for Toga where he's a kid at this point and Nanami shows up beaten all to hell carrying a box and inside is a kitten his parents freak out and say get that thing out of here but toga takes a liking to it he's like no 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 it's fine i like it and there is a moment in this scene where he reassures nanami by kissing her and the blocking of this is identical to Utena and the Prince. Like he kisses her oh. high on the cheek in the same way that the Prince kisses Utena. And it gives us the border with the spinning roses. This time the roses are yellow, not white. Like it's not the Prince color. This is Nanami's color. Right. But still like Toga kisses Nanami exactly the same way that the prince kissed Utena. Mm -hmm. Just signifying, at least in my mind, that this is Nanami's prince. For sure. For sure. She even calls him that repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We go from that to Toga practicing his kendo, even though he's injured. He says he wants to, like, he, he doesn't want to get stiff, by uh, just like sitting back and recovering. Like he needs to get moving again in order to recover fully. And Nanami begs him to stop and then asks him to kiss her again. And this time 
he laughs her off and says, uh, no, we're not kids anymore. Yeah. And we get this shot of Nanami in the rain, uh, kind of like the shot of Jury in the rain a few episodes ago. Like that dejected yeah. staring at the sky in the rain moment where like she did something very vulnerable there in asking for comfort and he laughed at her. Yeah. Like we, well... we all might like we all might think of it as a little bit awkward just because of their ages, but on an emotional level, she was seeking comfort and got laughed at. Yeah, okay. I see that. I think Toga might have taken it the way that, you know, we all did in the audience of, <laughs> girl, that's not appropriate. <laughs> right. And, like, it's totally and, fine for him to set that boundary. Like, that is... Yeah. That is yeah. him being, being a responsible older brother. Um, But, like, nevertheless, he didn't need to laugh at her either. Which yeah. kind of goes to that whole, this entire family is kind of sociopathic thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just wrote her relationship with him is so unhealthy because like you can definitely seek out comfort from your siblings and from your family. You know, if you're having a rough time, if you start crying Things like that. Like you should feel like you should be, you should feel like you can reach out to your family for like a hug to be held or comforted. But the way that she seeks it out with him is not healthy. It is crossing a boundary. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, she doesn't see it that way at all. Yeah. Yeah, and she has, like, <laughs> Mickey called it out a few episodes back of, like, her big brother complex. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, because she's at that age, she's still transferring everything onto her brother as an idealized male figure and isn't really processing what that means for the two of them to be siblings. Right. And Toga is now old enough that like he understands the difference between close family relationships and intimate sexual relationships. And that there's a line between those two. Um, mm -hmm. Nanami, who is like at the beginning of puberty, still isn't making that distinction. It's like the way that like little kids will joke about marrying their parent or something like that. <laughs> because like they don't have a concept of how different that relationship is from parent child or brother sib sister or anything like that. They literally just like don't get that difference yet. But now that yeah. Toga now that Toga has definitely had sexual relationships. Um, that line is much clearer and it's no longer a joke yeah. to him. And that's a good point about the, um, about the marrying thing, because 
to a kid, they just see that as, oh, well, that just means I get to be with you forever. Right. That's what I want. Right. Don't you want that? It's no different than like, I want you to be part of my family. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, as opposed to you are a person who I want to be sexually intimate with, potentially to have children with, <laughs> you know, like that right. side of it just doesn't even <laughs> enter the mind of a child who says that kind of thing. No. Um, I think that Nanami is on like the verge of getting it. Mm-hmm. And so like it gets into some really uncomfortable territory between those two characters but, like, I will say, as smarmy and gross as Toga can be over the course of this show, this is at least a moment where, like, he knows where the lines are. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take a Game of Thrones. <laughs> I can't take it. I know that there's, from the some of the content warnings that you gave, I know something is coming. So it is inevitable, I think, but at least it's not this soon. Yeah. <laughs> at least it's not this early on into this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a cluster of sibling relationships that get examined over the course of this show. And each of them provides like a different lens on where the boundaries are and what that does to your relationship as siblings. Like a few episodes ago, we got to see Mickey processing the idea that his twin sister is a sexual being unto herself. Yeah. And also like not his property, you know, like not this memory that's just locked away in his mind you know like right. not the version of her that that lives in his memory like she is a dynamic person yes and she is alive presently and acting with her own agency um for her own goals and her own desires and those desires conflict with what mickey would want he certainly does not want toga banging his sister but <laughs> he has no control over that either. And he's processing no. this idea that like, she's her own person and can do her own things. And that changes how he views her. Mm -hmm. And now we have Nanami and Toga delving into Nanami having this idealized notion of her brother as this romantic figure without really processing what that means in a sexual sense. And like, definitely there is conversation in the fandom and there is fanfic out there where it goes to that degree, but that isn't in the show. Like that isn't what's here in the text. Um, here right. we see a kid processing what this changing relationship is and wanting to retain this idealized pairing of the two of them without understanding what that means as the two of them get older. Yeah. So then we get the actual birthday party. And again, like I, I didn't mention this before, but Toga has a birthday throne. <laughs> 
<laughs> I kind of love this. I want a birthday throne. Listeners, if you have a throne you can hook me up with, I want a birthday throne for next year. <laughs> Sadly, my birthday has just passed. It was last month. Uh, Virgo power. Uh, and yeah, like we're recording this episode in October. It's probably not going to come out until like the end of this year. <laughs> like if we're on track, like we stay on track with recording pretty well. But like as far as release schedule goes, I think it's going to be a couple months before this one comes out. Um <laughs> But yes, he's got a birthday throne. And mm -hmm. the scale of the party is kind of astonishing to me. Like, this is one of those high-class balls, like, in episode three. Everybody's there for this guy's birthday. Yeah, and that's the norm for him. Yeah, we saw that in the flashback, too. Like, he routinely throws gigantic parties where he cannot possibly know everybody there. And this no. is just like part of his whole rich kid thing. Um and Yeah, I wrote down I wrote down that um the throne for him is just symbolizing him as the king of the world, even when he was a kid and especially now. Yeah. Yeah, like I have written here like what do you get the boy who has everything? Yeah. And the answer is Utena. <laughs> I also want to note that I wrote down, look at this fool living it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he's sitting there pleasantly enjoying the party, but he lights up the moment he realizes Utena's at the party. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't even have to get him anything. She just had to be there. For him to have a good party. That's how infatuated with her she, uh, he is. Mm -hmm. And Anthe shows up carrying a box. Very curiously similar to the box that we saw in the flashback. And we already know that like she brought a cat to the bedroom. And like it wasn't clear that like. Was she adopting a cat for her and Utana? Uh, but then, like, we see the narrative parallel start to really take shape here of she's going to give a cat to Toga the same way Nanami gave a cat to Toga, like, 10 years ago or six years yeah. ago or whatever, however long ago it was. Um, probably, like, six. Again, that leaves us with the question, how does Anthe know what buttons to push here? Because this is her manipulating right back, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now that you've pointed it out, I can't unsee it. It was like this, totally on purpose. Like, I never wanted to bring this up before now, but like, this is the episode where it becomes like super obvious that Anthe is. Anthe is canny to some information that other characters just aren't. And that maybe yeah. some of those coincidences in past episodes have a little more to them than they first appeared. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just in shock. <laughs> <laughs> Did not see this one coming because again, she's just so passive, which makes her like the perfect unsuspecting 
orchestrator. So I want to get you on record. Is Anthe the end of the world? I don't think she's the end of the world, but I think she's privy to the end of the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the same way that the end of the world and Toga are having these phone conversations. I think Anthe's got her own correspondence with the end of the world. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, can we talk about the best moment in this this show so far, which is Choo Choo doing like a cute little diabolical laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I as soon as we finish re- recording this, <laughs> as soon as we finish recording this, I'm going to pull the episode back up and go rewatch that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's a gif of that. I want to post that to the Twitter. Uh. <laughs> oh, please. I hope. But yeah, so we, we go from uh, a moment of levity to um, the direct opposite of that, which is Nanami coming over and slapping the flowers out of Utena's hands and going, you're the reason my brother is hurt. How dare you show up here? Yeah. And then somehow, just because she's making a fuss... And she's yelling loud enough about it. Like, how dare you show up here for my brother? Uh, The rumor gets spread amongst the crowd that Utena and Toga are together. So she's ended up doing the one thing that she did not want to do, (laughs) which is make it seem like they're together. (laughs) Right, right. And I think what's interesting in this scene is like, they again do that thing where they don't really highlight faces much. Like I, I think they cut off the view of everybody at the shoulders. All these things that look like they're being done to save on the animation budget end up becoming part of the stylistic voice of this show in a really fascinating yeah. way. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's inelegant ways of doing it and there's elegant ways of doing it. And this, this show lands firmly in the latter. Absolutely. Because like we see all the, the bodies in the background, but like the faces are obscured. They're just like blank slates. Um, not the, the full black of the flashbacks, but just like not drawn and not animated as faces. So it's it's the animation version of a narrow depth of field in film where like the focus is meant to be on the character in the foreground or a character in the background. Um, And so that is the only character that is shown in full detail. And so like the background is just meant to be representative of a crowd rather than specific people. Even though we we do recognize Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko at one point. Yeah, that's true. The rest of the crowd is just this undifferentiated mass of people. Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of the same or a similar technique that they use for the Shadow Girls. Like, you're, it's just a way to tell a story. And like you said, pulling the focus somewhere else. Interestingly enough, Anthe doesn't show any signs of freaking out at the size of the crowd. Like, we know she doesn't like crowds. That was established back in episode three. Um, And there's a very good reason for that, which we'll see in a later episode. But in this episode, 
when Nanami slaps the roses out of Utena's hands and blames Utena for what went down with her and her brother, Anthe steps up to defend her. She doesn't melt down and freak out. She just gets up in her face and defends Utena. I'm so proud. She's come so far. And I don't know why. <laughs> Again, it could just be her, you know, pulling the strings. But I'm still proud. <laughs> we have this time jump to later in the party. And Nanami is being sad out at the gazebo, which again... How big is this place? I like I'm getting the feeling that this ballroom that they keep going to is actually part of the Kiryu estate and not the school. Yeah, I think so. It seems more like their house. Like the ball from episode three and now this. Like I feel like this is the Kiryu estate that we're seeing. Uh which Yeah, I would agree. Which would explain why there's a ballroom at a Tory Academy and the answer is there isn't one. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's actually just at the mansion of the Kiryu kids. Um, but Nanami is out at the gazebo being sad and we hear Toga apl- uh, apologizing to Utena um, and he tells the story about the kitten. And this is when Anthe finally gives Toga a kitten again. And Toga laughingly playing with the cat snaps Nanami out of her reverie and she goes into full flashback mode of remembering uh, what she did years ago to Toga's prior kitten. So the whole time I was like, this dude killed his cat. This dude is a serial killer, blah, blah, blah. Because oh, he is definitely um, manipulative and sadistic enough. Uh, not sadistic. He's definitely manipulative and narcissistic well, enough to like maybe have done that. So I get it. I, yeah, I wouldn't entirely omit sadistic either. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely got some element of that. Um. But yeah, especially when he was like, he says this line right before um, Nanami goes into her flashback here, where he was like, "Um, I remember when I was a kid, Nanami gave me a kitten. It disappeared suddenly, but it was my favorite present. And when he said it disappeared suddenly, I was like, it's because you killed it. You killed it. You're a serial killer. You're a serial killer who kills animals. And it turns out, no, it's not that Kiryu. It's another one. Yep. <laughs> yep. And what I, I find so interesting about this is as much as you say that, like, I could see him doing this. Uh-huh. And To I, accomplish a goal? Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, I can't see him doing it just for the sake of, you know exerting control but if like it served his purposes i could see him doing it without feeling an ounce of remorse as cruel and awful as this action is on nanami's part she does feel remorse for it um we we see that later during the duel um yeah 
But like, which I was surprised. I was surprised to see her show remorse for it because she seemed like so stone cold, like, oh, I'm doing this for my brother. And then she realizes at the last minute what she's done and runs after it. Yeah. Like she regrets doing it in the memory. Even like we see that moment of her wishing she could take it back. Yeah. Um, Which is, I think part of, it's like a very heartening thing in some mm-hmm. sense like it shows that as awful as nanami can be she isn't a sadistic monster no like she is a scared girl who is capable of some incredibly cruel acts but like deep down isn't a monster who lacks all empathy for other living beings um, no, she is just, just driven her- by emotion. Yeah, she is just purely self-centered at this moment in yes. her life. And like it had dire consequences for a kitten, which yeah, again, is terrible. And I'd rather not dwell on that too much longer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. That's a good thing because I have two things. Yeah. One is a fun one. <laughs> What is a fun one? So the analysis you just did of Toga's character, I'm sure I we could go look it up right now. Like there has to be something about his birthday being out there. What do you think his astrological sign is or would be? Oh, um, without looking it up, I am gonna say I'm gonna say he's either a Libra or a Leo. Yes, I was going to say a Libra man. (laughs) He gives me, I was going to say Capricorn. And then I was like, no, his hair is too luscious. He's too like balanced, masculine, feminine, and too, honestly, sorry, Libras, too manipulative. Oh my God. Apparently he's a Gemini. Oh, that was my next guess. (laughs) Gives me air sign energy. And just to, like, put it out there, Utana is Earth sign through and through, right? Um, She is a Capricorn. Which one? Okay, okay, okay. Which fits, right? Like, (laughs) Uh, Also, (laughs) oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, if it wasn't going to be Capricorn, I was going to guess maybe a Taurus because of how she kind of, like, Actually, you know, I probably would have said Aries because of how she charges into things. But uh, anyway, astrology stuff on here is just for fun and all jokes. So don't take any of that personally. (laughs) Unless you're a Libra. I meant that entirely personally. Uh (laughs) Ooh, personal vendetta. (laughs) My closest friends are Libras. I get a like a front row seat to some of those shenanigans like every day. Um, oh my god! Anyhow. The other thing that I the other thing that I wanted to bring up was I think this is the first time that we see a shot of the full moon or the moon at all in this show, and I could be wrong, but it stuck out to me because it's right as we're having this very emotional and emotionally driven episode. Nanami this whole time has been very driven by her feelings and she is very much so that person. But to me showing like this show doesn't waste time.
time. This show does not waste animation. So to me, everything that this show gives us is symbolic in some way. So it's showing the full moon there. The full moon is the full emotions out on display. And it's right before we have this emotional conversation about Nanami having the big brother complex and the flashbacks and the, uh, the flashbacks specifically of Nanami remembering what she did and also them transitioning into the big reveal, which the full moon supposedly reveals all the big reveal that Nanami is the next duelist. Yeah. I, so I think that the moon was out during Utena's conversation with Jury back in episode seven. You're right. And that was another big emotional yeah, no, like episode. It, it, it's the same symbol. It's the same symbolism. Yeah. So, yeah, like, as you said, uh, we get the reveal that Nanami is the new duelist. And um, Toga straight up puts the ring on her finger and says, you've been chosen by the end of the world. And yeah, yeah, he he says the school has rules that must be followed, gives her the ring and then says, did you forget Nanami? Implying that she knows about the dueling. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we have that imagery of the ring and all along this ring has been called an engagement ring over and over by this show. And now we have Toga sliding it onto Nanami's finger. He doesn't like hand it to her. He slides it onto her finger like she has accepted a proposal. Yep. Uh, Pretty sure it's the ring finger too. And so like we have it coming full circle with Nanami's relationship with her brother on like now he's giving her a ring and they're going to go to the dueling arena, <laughs> you know, like, um, <laughs> which the dueling arena itself has like that ceremony energy to it. Like, I've talked on this show many times about the, the dual song and the ascension up the stairs as being a ritual. And like these rules, they seem so arbitrary, right? Like you have to have a ring. You have to be a duelist. You have to go to the dueling arena to fight. But the act of doing it in a prescribed way is part of what makes it what it is rather than just two people fighting. Because like you break down a duel and it's just two people fighting, right? But to right. have a duel... You have rules you follow, and that gives legitimacy to the things that you're doing in a way that just like a street fight doesn't have. Yeah. Well, and even you could argue that the entire ritual of Utena climbing the stairs and then uh, putting on, magically putting on the regalia, that in itself is reminiscent of a wedding ritual climbing the stairs putting on the dressing gown like the gown and veil like the gender it's... difference between uh anthe as the bride 
and the dress that she's wearing and the the uniforms that the duelists wear, including Utena, which has like this vaguely military look to it, mm-hmm. but like a, a military dress uniform. Yes. You know, like it has that gendered dynamic too of bride and groom. Like they never mm-hmm. use the word groom, I don't think, in this show. But visually, the word groom is there with us the entire time. Oh, yeah. Like they keep saying prince, but like the other side of that, of the rose bride, she's not the rose princess, she's the rose bride, which implies mm-hmm. something about the person who is dueling with her. Or like uh, dueling on her behalf, right? And so now, like, even though Toga has set that boundary with Nanami about kissing her, he gives her this ring, and here we go, muddying the waters and like blurring that boundary that he had set earlier. And this just speaks to his layers of manipulation that he engages in. Uh Uh-huh, I was just about to say the same thing. Because he wants to hold that boundary when it's serving him. Yes. But he'll muddy, he'll absolutely muddy it when it's to get what he wants. Yeah, yeah. The boundary only exists when it serves his purposes. Yeah. Which is like the essence of smarmy behavior, right? Where... Mm -hmm. Either the boundary exists or it doesn't is a clear thing that everyone else can understand. If you assert a boundary and then cross it yourself just because like it suits you, it calls into question why you have set that boundary with people and it makes it a little clearer that you're just manipulating them. You know, you're using the language of care but in a one-directional way. Yeah. I feel like I just attended a sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Not in a bad way either. I'm like, ooh, I feel like that was preaching to me specifically. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have the Shadow Girls. And... This is one of their their funnier exchanges, and they're all pretty funny, but this one's definitely up there of trying to name a cat. We should call him Kitty. No, 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 that's not good enough. Uh, we need something or that was it, it's too unusual or no, it's not unusual enough. And then, oh, unusual Kitty. And like the adjectives just keep building out until it becomes... Uh, was it something cuter, nicer style, unusual kitty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, as soon as that one walks away, the other one turns around and calls the kitten Giuliano. Like, <laughs> so I think there's like two ways of seeing that scene. Um, and I think it depends upon which of the two walked away and which one bent down to talk to the cat and because it's the shadow girls like 
like I have an answer that I think it is, but it's ambiguous. It's more ambiguous. Like option one is if the one that was suggesting all of the names is the one who said who called the cat Giuliano, then that was just that character messing with the other character for fun because they already had a name mm-hmm. in mind that they were going to call the cat. Mm-hmm. If it's the other one who calls the cat Giuliano, then then it becomes like rather than criticizing why didn't you just offer a name yourself right well the other interesting thing is the last shot i noticed it looks like the shadow girl in the back has a dagger that she's about to stab the other one in the back with oh my god i did not even notice that what <laughs> yeah she's got a dagger and it was so out of nowhere because they're having this what seems to be somewhat normal conversation about what to name a cat and then the other one is so preoccupied with this cat that has now become huge that she doesn't even see that her friend is about to like take her out i gotta go back and look at this i i am shook like i did not notice the dagger at all (laughs) yeah i want to pull it up too honestly okay no i'm looking at this i see that as her like look at the rest of the way her body is posed like i don't see that as a knife i see that as her hand up in the air in like a goofy pose the same way her leg is up in like tree pose for yoga it's too much slasher fic for me. Like, it gives me scream <laughs> vibes. <laughs> I'm going to post a picture of this on the Twitter. Uh- <laughs> yeah, do a poll. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so we have another duel again. Yeah. We have a duel again, like an actual, real, honest-to-God sincere duel and not just a street fight or an illegal match (laughs) (laughs) um so the song for this duel is last evolution and it talks all about like the stars and um the illusion of infinity is one of the lines in the song it talks about time and at the end of it um is them chanting evolution In the fight, Nanami says, quote, she has a ring given to her by her prince. Mm-hmm. And I have talked about this before, of the narrative parallel between Utena and Nanami as characters who are very similar but separated by age. And... You know, like you pointed it out earlier in this episode of how princely um, that moment was with uh, Toga kissing Nanami as a child. And like the show sets it up like it's set up as a a visual parallel to what happened with um, the prince in the cemetery for Utena. The shot is like frame for frame the same shot just with different characters in it. And so like the show is setting up that parallel for us also. Right. 
Nanami says that her prince will lead her to victory. And Uten is like, no, he won't. And then immediately, <laughs> immediately cuts off Nanami's rose. The power of Dios mm. starts to descend from the castle. And Utena has already cut off the rose before it takes over her. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I noticed it started to come down. Toga reacted to seeing something with that moment. And then I didn't know what happened from there because it was so fast. This is one of those moments where we get some of the most clear animation of Utena cutting someone's rose off that we have ever seen. She straight up cuts Nanami's rose off of her. Now, it does have the spinning white rose. So it the show could be implying here that the power of Dios was there with her to do this. Mm-hmm. But in the past, we've always seen it enter her before she yeah. has like her big charge moment. Like we usually see her hop back into a crouch and thrust as like her signature mm-hmm. move. In this case, she just toe to toe with Nanami cuts her rose off. And I at least am willing to say like that happened without the power of Dios, but I think there's a case to be made that it that it was just because like they put the rose up there anyway. Yeah. But this this duel is over in a flash compared to the other duels. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Like, it's like 12 seconds <laughs> of the two of them engaged, and most of that was them talking while their blades were locked in their first engagement. Um, <laughs> and, like, everyone kind of grasps that this is it. And it, everyone reacts as if it ended as quickly as it did, except mm-hmm. for Nanami, <laughs> who has brought a <laughs> additional dagger to a sword fight, which is all she needs, right? Like uh, Anthe speaks up to tell Nanami she's out of line. Toga tries to stop it. Everyone tries to tell her to knock it off, but Nanami well, actually cuts Utena's rose off. Well, and at first, Toga just watches and says nothing. Yeah. Like when he when she first pulls out the dagger and starts going at Utena, Toga doesn't say shit. That's true. Yeah, like that I did mess up the order on that a little bit because him speaking up is what actually finally gets Nanami to calm down. Yeah. But I think it's noteworthy here Nanami cuts off Utena's rose. It is after the bell rang, or in this case, the many bells. <laughs> but she did get one up on Utena at some point. Yeah. And so, like, to go back to the question of whether or not the power of Dios was with her, um, it seems to imply, like, let's say that was with the power of Dios earlier. It would imply that, like, Nanami is capable of defeating Utena in a straight up yeah. fight. Yeah. And like, I just want to put it down on here that like, I think this is the first time we've seen 
Utena's rose get knocked off. And she was doubting herself earlier. And even though it comes after the bell, I think this is the first time that we actually see her lose her rose. Even though it doesn't mean mm-hmm. she loses the duel just because she actually knocked Nanami's off first. Yeah, it shows that she was knocked off of her game. And then how the fight ends, I was kind of confused about. Because Nanami goes for what would basically be a killing blow. And instead, I think Toga calls out and she misses and the tip of her sword shatters against the concrete that she's got Utena against. Yeah. Yeah. And also somehow cuts her braid. Uh, I think that was a shard of the blade ricocheting off. Okay. I didn't know if that was Toga coming in with a like a dagger or something. I didn't know. Yeah, I think that was like a ricochet of the blade. Okay. Um. So, She's lucky it just got her hair then. <laughs> yeah. And so this is the moment where like Toga is comforting Nanami and saying he'll always protect her. This is where we finally get like the full flashback to drowning the cat. And this is where we see Nanami show that flicker of regret um, in the past, like in the flashback, cut to her in the present apologizing to toga and begging for forgiveness yeah and again toga repeats his line that he can't ignore a damsel in distress doubling down on like the whole i'm a prince thing and part of me looks at this and thinks you didn't give a damn about being a prince until you saw a girl being a better prince than you (laughs) <laughs> probably well and then the line that he gives nanami to get her to stop fighting and to break down is you don't have to fight anymore i'll protect you which you're the one that gave her the ring in the first place dummy <laughs> what do you mean you don't have to fight anymore you were the one who wanted her to well he wanted her to do it the right way. Like it was clear that she was going to fight Utena no matter what. And I think this is another moment where like you can call it manipulative or you can call it protective to like give her the ring and legitimize the duel rather than just let Nanami duke it out with Utena. Okay. I see. Like, I don't necessarily believe that it was a pure intention. <laughs> yeah, like, don't, I don't either. <laughs> do, not mis- do not misread me on this. Like when I when I speak up for characters like Sionji or or Toga, it is not because I agree with these characters. It's just that like I think their motivations are a little more multidimensional than just their evil people. Um <laughs> Yeah. Like I think the show deserves more credit than that there are other shows where i definitely do not believe that the villain characters deserve an ounce more consideration than they get um but i think like this is one where all of these characters are pretty multi-dimensional and i don't think all of them can cleanly be reduced to like 
just their worst behavior. Right. I don't think that we should stop condemning their worst behavior. <laughs> um, right. But I, I do want to give like credit where it's due in some of these interactions where like there's more to it than just he's a puppet master pulling the strings. No, I agree. I think that he can be both. He can be both somebody that wants to be a protective older brother and also be somebody whose ambition outweighs almost everything else. Well, like that's the thing with like abusive people in general, right? Is like they are still themselves also multidimensional people, which is part of yeah. why their manipulative behaviors and their abusive behaviors get a pass from people when they shouldn't. Right? Like people like this exist and they aren't all good or all bad. And the parts that aren't bad are why people stick around with them, even when they're doing bad things. And yeah, like that's why it's important to call those behaviors out and also like recognize that one doesn't excuse the other either. Like the good doesn't excuse the bad. Right. So what are so your one more? Oh yeah, go ahead. One more question I have. Um, about that power of Dios shot. Has anyone else up to this point in the show harnessed the power of Dios while fighting, while being in a duel? No one else has, right? It's I, just been Utena. Utena is the only one who we have seen like possess that power, except for Sionji. But that to me, I guess is what I'm asking is, is the power of Dios when we see Dios come down or is the power of Dios pulling the sword out of Anthe? Oh yeah. No. Um, we see Sionji take the sword out of Anthe in the first episode. Right. But the power of Dios sides with Utna in that first duel, which is how she right. Sionji with the broken sword. Okay. So, as far as like Dios possessing the duelist and guiding their hand to victory, that has only ever come down on Utena's side. We saw in Juri's duel that Juri yeah. was able to deflect that power, but it has only ever come down on Utena's side. And I can't help but wonder if before Utena showed up to the duels in the school, if that power was ever coming down at all. Or if this is a first. I don't know if it's entirely clear. Like Toga remarks on it the first time he sees it. And he seems to recognize it for what it is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's seen it before. He might just know what to look for with it. Mm -hmm. And like when it manifests, okay. he might recognize it as what it is. But I think this is that might have been the first time he's ever actually seen it himself too. Like I could read his reaction both ways such that I am comfortable saying it is probably the case that it first started happening for Utena. Okay. Protagonist bias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just curious. It was something, it was the last one of the last notes that I wrote when we wrapped up the episode. It's just something I happen to think of. 
speaking of wrapping up the episode, mm -hmm. what are your predictions for next time? So we've got Utena asking herself if Toga could be her prince. We see a snippet of Toga and, U and Utena going at it in a duel. And we also have Anthe saying some really interesting things of, I'm the Rose Bride. And you know what that means, don't you? Which I'm like, ooh, Anthe's really coming out. <laughs> Anthe's really coming out in the next, in between this episode and the next. Um, now, out of the closet, not quite. <laughs> but out in general, yes. Um, I, let's see, predictions from that. I just can't wait to see Toga get his ass beat. <laughs> so I really, I really hope that that happens because he needs it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he really needs a humbling. Like, well, I'm tired of seeing this man on a throne. <laughs> so you had highlighted the line of, um, I'm the Rose Bride, you know what that means. Who is she saying that to? And what is the context? What's your prediction? It seems like another conversation with Utena, but honestly, could be anything. She could be having that conversation with the end of the world for all we know. Well, okay, so why would she be saying that to Utena? I think because Utena still hasn't grasped something about the duels. Like, she's showing up and she's fighting, but she said initially she was doing that to protect Anthe. I don't think she really understands what all these student council members are fighting for. And what Toga is pulling the strings and is willing to, like, get somebody expelled for. So, wait. So then why would Anthe be reminding Utena of the rules of all of this? A part of me feels like it's to remind her of her place in it. I'm talking about Anthe's place in it. Because I, again, I feel like Utena still doesn't really comprehend what Anthe's role in all of it is. She knows that she enjoys being the Rose Bride, but she doesn't understand what that means fully. Okay. I mean, we don't really as the audience either. Yeah, that's fair. But that's all I've got. <laughs> so what is your prediction for how that plays out? Like, what's going to happen in the next duel? I feel like Anthea is going to give Utena a pep talk of some sort or it's going to be a combination of a pep talk and a come to Jesus moment a little bit because I think Anthony or excuse me I think Utena needs to be shaken out of this funk that she's in I think she's very much still going to be in it because I think Nanami will have shaken up her confidence some okay um so I think there's going to be a pep talk slash coming to Jesus moment, excuse me, coming to Dios moment. <laughs> and, um, and, um, then there's just going to be a, I, I feel like it's going to be a really good fight. Okay. It's going to be pretty intense and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, he has been talked up as being the best of them. Right. And narratively speaking by being last, the narrative itself is positioning him as her most challenging opponent. Mm -hmm. And 
Jury was already so skilled and talented as a duelist. So I'm like, well, first, there's no way he's going to outshine her, but he could like maybe come close. (laughs) (laughs) Well, remember, she's a fencer and he's a kendo fighter. True, 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 true. But they have slightly different disciplines as far as like what style of sword fighting they engage in. Like we have true. We have Mickey and Jury as the fencers and Toga and Sionji as um, the kendo guys. Yeah. So, okay. He's just in a class of his own. So where can folks find us out there on the internet? So for the podcast, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Zetai Unmei Pod. And you can also send in any questions or comments or feedback or what have you to our uh, Gmail account, which is absolutedestinyapodcast at gmail.com. We are both out there on Twitter individually as well. I am at Life in Neon. And I am at Car Cutie. And then we both have Twitch accounts that are in the same names. Uh, and then I also have a very chaotic gremlin TikTok. <laughs> if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole, good luck, congratulations, and I'm sorry. <laughs> For anyone who writes in, please write in to us. Uh, I will generally be the one responding to them just in case there are spoilers. Uh, and also, like if you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave a review, um, you know, give us a rating. Those things help with algorithms, help get us seen. And um, yeah, tell your friends, tell your, tell your enemies. Um, it's not my business who you tell. <laughs> um, but yeah, the more listeners, the more fun we all have. Uh, please write in. Uh, we will read any listener submissions on the podcast, answer your questions. Just let us know. Yeah, and come hang out with us on Twitter, too, because we have a fun time over there. 